attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week, I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Antoinette Bunkley, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Um, Mark, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure meeting you and I look forward to our conversation. It's a pleasure meeting you. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Antoinette Bunkley has 26 years of experience as a project manager for buildings in the science and technology sector with a particular emphasis on higher education campus environments. She leads co-architects justice, equality, diversity, and inclusion initiative, also known as JEDI. You've probably heard that term. That's what that stands for, uh, justice, equality, diversity, and inclusion. Antoinette's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal as an expert on diversity training. She has served as an AIA panelist presenting insights on equity, diversity, and career opportunities in healthcare design. And at CoArchitects, Antoinette uh, provides project management for highly complex building types, such as laboratories, Vivaria, which I had to look up. I didn't know what Vivaria were. Uh, now I know Vivaria are enclosures for living things, animals, and plants, so you can study them. Uh, not, I, I, maybe you can clarify that a little bit after I finish your introduction, because I want to understand more about that. Because it's not a zoo, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, so <laughs> not it's a, a zoo, Mark. <laughs> uh, laboratories, Vivaria, nanotechnology, biosafety uh, uh, level three, and diagnostic facilities. And she's knowledgeable in the coordination of architecture with complex engineering systems. So complex architecture, complex systems. Um, just really quickly, Vivaria. Can you explain more about what that is for, for me and our listeners? <laughs> yes, um, Vivaria um, is plural term for vi- a, a vivarium. Yep. Um, it is a, um, and I apologize if it goes in and out. I tried to make sure it was strong today for this um, yeah, podcast. Okay. We'll, we'll work it. We'll figure it out. But um, um, vivarium is the plural term for vivarium, which is a facility that houses um, plants and animals for research. And it is very highly designed, very specialized, and it has a organization for how you move um, for researchers to proceed through that facility and doing their research on um, whether it's plants or animals or rodents. So, Very interesting. I've never heard that term. And uh, I, it was, I looked it up. I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. Well, it's, it's usually, um, it's known in the research industry. Um, you know, there are 
there's always the organizations that are um, opposed to animals yes, yeah. um, and plant testing, well, animal testing. So these facilities are usually pretty much kept low key. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, very interesting. So complex architecture is your focus over there at CoArchitects. Um, and you have started this uh, initiative, the JEDI Initiative. And that's what we want to talk about today. But before we do that, I want to learn more about you. I want to know um, who you are, where you came from. Uh, when did you discover your passion for architecture? Who or what inspired you to pursue architecture? And share that story to where you find yourself today. Okay, well, um, I'm originally from Maryland, um, Washington, D.C. area, although I've been a California transplant for um, 30 plus years. Um, I start. I started out. I have two, you know, four siblings, and we're very close in age, literally very close in age to the point where we all graduated from high school the same year. <laughs> wow, that's very close. <laughs> so we, we and, and we continue to be close. And my parents um, raised us that way. Um, we um, grew up in um, suburban Maryland, um, and my parents always wanted us to give us exposure to the rest of the world, to the rest of the country. So one year we took a um, summer, we took a road trip through the southern states, all through the Carolinas, down to Georgia, um, ended up in Louisiana for Mardi Gras, and then turned around and, and came back. And that's when um, I discovered architecture and a very different styles of architecture. And actually, when I was looking at your website and was looking at some of your homes, it reminded me of um, that trip and how the different styles of housing and residential um, was so just intriguing um, during that trip. And that's where it really all started for me. Um, I remember going to a um, underground mall in Georgia and just fascinated by the fact that they were able to design something like this. Yeah. And then, of course, um, ending up in New Orleans and Louisiana and um, doing Mardi Gras and the whole culture and atmosphere during that event was just a game changer. And I was in my teens at the time, and I literally came back and um, um, enrolled in a drafting course that so, following so school year. During that trip, you you sort of discovered your passion for architecture. Was it at also at that time in your life that you discovered that there was such a thing called an architect that that designed architecture? Did you understand what that was at that no, moment? No, actually, actually, I didn't. I, I I just understood. I understood that was something I wanted to do, but um, to the term architect, other than this is going to date me. <laughs> um, the Brady. Yeah, um, Mike Brady. Brady <laughs> Mike Bunch. Brady. Yep. The Brady Bunch, yes. That is a common <laughs> common reference on that question about how you became an architect. Many, many architects were inspired by Mike Brady. <laughs> and, and, and knowing what we know now, we realize how misleading that show yes. is, correct? Yep. Um, but that was my point of reference, to be honest with you. Um I just knew that this was something that I wanted to pursue. So I kind of organically figured it out. Um, I'm a first generation architect. And so I didn't have the resources or the knowledge um, to, to know where to go and where to look. Um, I did start reaching out to organizations once I got into college, which was different. But prior to that, it was just the drafting course was where I knew I was supposed to start. I did have conversations with guidance counselors at the time. Um, so, yes. And so did you, did you, when you went to college from high school, did you go right into architecture school? Was that your, 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 were you pursuing architecture right out, off the bat? This is another story with being close with siblings. Um, to answer your question short, no, I had to sit out a year. And the reason I had to sit out a year, I knew I, I applied for architecture, but I had to sit out of the architectural program for a year because my brother's transcript was sent um, instead of my transcripts 
um, at the time. And by the time they discover what happened, the architectural school had already met and decided who to accept. Now, how could you say that my brother's instead of mine? Um, his name is Antonio. My name is Antoinette. Yeah. And so the difference are a few letters off. Yeah. And so it ended up, and his grades wasn't <laughs> <laughs> nearly <laughs> as good as mine. I was a straight A student. <laughs> That's a funny story. So, so I did, I'm sure he, he never lived that down, <laughs> taking that first year away from you. No, and I never let him live it down too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, those things happen. So during that time, I actually focused on my um, um, electives that you had to have for graduating. So that year was not wasted. Yeah. So. yeah. And so where did you go to architecture school? Um, USC. Okay. I um, had never been to the, um, that was a, another first for me. I knew I wanted to go to USC. I, and I think that had to do with just talking to um, counselors and figuring out what would be some of the top programs in architecture schools to go to. And USC was one of them. And um, I had never been that far west of the Mississippi. And so I um, applied there. And again, I negotiated with my parents, being close family, that I would only go out there for two years and then come back to the East Coast. Oh, I reneged on that deal. And believe me, they have never let me live that one down. <laughs> so you never went back. So you went, I out, never... <laughs> went out for school and that's where you stay. You're right there today. Yes. Well, I understand you're from New Jersey, so and to transplant to Charlotte, um, I'm sure you have a similar story yourself, correct? Yes. We actually, <laughs> I, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, I lived in New York my pretty much my whole adult life. As soon as I got married, we moved um, over the border into Westchester County, just north of New York City. Was there for 21 years, and then in 2019 moved to North Carolina. Mm. So a whole new chapter here. Right. So if you don't mind my asking, what brought you to um, North Carolina then? Because that is a, a different culture altogether. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> family. We followed family. My my brothers and my wife's brothers. My wife is also an architect and a partner in my firm. And uh, it is it, our brothers, all four of them, coincidentally, unrelated, all moved down to the Charlotte, North Carolina region all at the same time, about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, for 20 years, they've been pull trying to pull us down here. And um, both sets of parents were in New York. And mm -hmm. so um, my wife's parents actually helped raise our kids with us so we could practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so we weren't leaving because me Ma and Papa were, were in New York. So we were staying in New York. Mm -hmm. and, then, uh, and then they surprised us about two or three years ago. Um, they went to visit their sons down in North Carolina and came back and announced that they bought a house and they were moving. <laughs> <laughs> and I suspect they did a little bit of that for not only for them, but for us, too, because they knew mm -hmm. that we wanted to, to move and and we were there because they were there. And, and so uh, we all moved down. Yeah. They moved down. And then a couple of years later, we closed things up and followed them down. And and uh, yeah, so now we're all down here. Oh, that is great. Now, my family is still all back east. They've all been out to visit and they love to visit, but they literally do not care for California, Southern California. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Too warm and sunny, I guess. Yes. <laughs> I think traffic and yes. freeways is more like it. Yeah. And, yeah. and actually, it was the weather that signed me up for to stay here. I mean, tell me I don't have to shovel snow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't miss snow at all in North Carolina. Uh, it's what's great about where we are in, in the Charlotte region is that we still have four seasons. So we still get the leaves changing and all of that. We get a little bit of snow every once in a while in the winter. It'll flurry, um, mm -hmm. but it, no significant snow. We don't have a snow shovel anymore. And so yeah. I, yeah. I get the best of all worlds here. <laughs> And that's what we do here in Southern California, too. As you know, um, you know, if we want snow, we just go two hours north right. and just experience it for the day and then turn around and come back. And literally, you could go to the beach. Yeah. So it's it's the best of all worlds, both worlds for me. So so uh, USC. And so what did you do when you graduated? Um, I stayed out here and I, I uh, got a position with a firm. Um at the time, um, it was a small firm, um, 
doing mostly residential. And that's where I kind of, my starting to find myself in architecture really happened. Um, I find that uh, although residential was um, nice, it wasn't a challenge. So I, I moved on to look for bigger and better things. I went to a firm, a much larger firm actually at the time um, that did a, a variety of building types. And um, I remember working, and that was my first real experience with working with an architecture firm and the different components of being an architect. You know, it's not just um, drawing, there's design. Well, you know, Mark, it's, it's very many faucets of it. I equated to being a doctor um, and finding myself, I did general practice for a while. And then each year, I, maybe I tried, you know, being a specialist in this and a specialist in that. And I literally um, worked on a research building um, for when I went to actually to co-architects. No, I, I, I take that back. I was working on other building types when co specializes in um, research labs. And I would sit across from a coworker from mine and got really fascinated about what they were doing in terms of the building type. They were working on the lab building. And that intrigued me so much. And I said, well, I want to work on this particular building type. Um, that was, it's just like my passion just blew up from there. Um, I find research building types very um, passionate, working with the researchers, working with the um, clients and consultants. It's just, it's a building type that I thrive on. So. Is, it, is it the complexity that you enjoy? Is it is that what very you know? much the complexity and the, the the purpose that goes behind these research, um, these facilities? Um, they are you're literally designing something for someone that's wanting to change the world in some regard. Um, and case in point, a current project that I'm working on for a client is a CGMP facility for immunotherapy and in layman's terms is this facility, if you are a patient with cancer, they will extract that blood type, your, that design a treatment based on your genetics, your makeup, and then literally put it into your body. So as the doctor explains to us, this facility, literally, you know, what we do, a patient can die. Yeah. And so that's why, and it's, a, and it's going into an existing building, right? So you have the complexity of putting this facility in a basement of an existing building, and then being able to design it and operate it and, and get it to operate. Isn't architecture amazing? <laughs> it is. Isn't it such a great profession? <laughs> And you always constantly, constantly learn and you never, you know, what applies in one project is totally different application on another one. So, yeah. uh, and I'm sure you, even with housing and what you do, I'm sure you experience the same thing. Yeah, well, I just, I just love that we, we have such an impact on the world, the way people live and the way people work, the way people study. Um, they can't do what they do without the buildings we design. And so it's, it's such a great profession and uh, I'm happy to be part of it. Yes. Same here. So we realize we change in the communities one step, one building at a time. Yeah, I exactly. Exactly. We, we literally change the world with yeah. the work we do. <laughs> and there's not a lot of professions that can say that, that they literally have an impact on the way people live and work and, you know, play and, study and all those things that we do as humans. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. But how did you how did you find yourself um how do you how did you get to co-architects? What was what were the steps to get there? Um and I co-architects originally was Anston Allen and then it became Anston and Allen Los Angeles um before it became co. So um it was founded they launched Anston and Allen in the early late 1980s. Um, when I first went to Co, because I've gone to Co, I, I'm a boomerang. So I've been there, went out into the world, came back yeah. and realized 
this is a great company for me to work for. Um, someone called up and said, um, hey, you know, the back in the day, they call you up and say, hey, we're hiring. Are you interested? Yeah. And um, that's how I first got exposed to, to um, Anchin and Allen. And it at the time, it um, was a much smaller firm. They were just starting out. Um, and we were working on some exciting projects at the time. I, at that time, I was working on healthcare. Um, and then you get the next call from another friend. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and at that time, you, you're looking for, you know, opportunities and growth opportunities sure. and also money, because let's be honest, when we first get out of college, um, architecture, you, you don't start off with your own office designing this huge project all on your own, which was, again, going back to the Brady Bunch. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, so kind of just organically moved around, worked for different companies, and knew that the culture at Anchin and Allen, our now co, is uh, was the right fit for me. Yeah, how long you've been there total? Total um, 12, going on 12, 13 years. And and your project manager there, and and you also lead the uh, the Jedi Initiative at Co Architects. It's uh, Jedi is why don't actually can you define Jedi and and explain sort of what we're talking about when we're talking about this this conversation? Okay, um, Jedi is justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and. I want to step back a moment and say at Co, we had established mostly diversity and inclusion, Co DI, mm -hmm. um, prior to the events of last year. And um, Rachel and I, uh, a co worker, established Co DI because Co is very diverse, probably one of the more diverse firms you will find. However, Rachel and I um, noticed that in that diversity, there were not a lot of Black architects like ourselves. And so we are, took it upon ourselves to create this initiative to expose CO to the Black community and the Black community to CO. And so we were working on these initiatives and on how we could um, go about establishing this. And we um, this, this came up with two. First, we wanted to um, introduce architecture students to CO, but from historically Black colleges and university, which as you're aware are primarily located on the East Coast. Yeah. And not all of them have architectural programs. So we focused on those HBCUs that had architectural programs. Secondly, we wanted to introduce CO um, to the Black community through Southern California NOMA, National Organization of Minority Architects, who are very involved. It's a, it's a national organization, um, but they're very involved in the community. And um, so we reached out to them, Rachel and I joined um, Southern Calinoma and became actively involved. We hosted um, their board meeting at our office, which was the first time, you know, Cole had hosted um, uh, a, a meeting of that type for NOMA. We joined, we helped participated in their um, summer camp, which is their pipe camp pipeline for exposing um, children um, to architecture at an early age. And I believe they started from, you can be there from like age nine to 16. And it's a three week camp on three Saturdays, four Saturdays in a row. And so what we did is we then um, got volunteers from CO to help volunteer on in that camp. So that became kind of the springboard to doing other things such as hosting architectural um, RE exams and leading that effort and young professionals effort. Um, what we wanted to do, we had created a job shadowing program where we reached out to NOMA 
and said, you know, give us some of your students that are interested in architecture. And for two, we did it for two half days. Um, it would be the life in the, in, um, the life in the of an architect. And we, um, you know, each day we had kind of an agenda for them to do. Um, we would walk them through marketing, you know, what different aspects, model building, because Rachel and I both agreed we never had that exposure growing up. And we wanted to start capturing um, Blacks and minorities at a younger age. Yeah, I've so, heard that. I've heard that often when mm -hmm. when having conversations like this. That, and that's that's very far to me, right? I'm a 51 year old white man from a suburban New Jersey neighborhood, <laughs> right? And so, I never even knew that there were architects who didn't even know that architecture was a profession, right? Exactly. All yes. the way through college, they were never exposed to it. No one introduced them to it because it just wasn't part of what was happening right and so not it wasn't necessarily that that blacks and minorities were were being blocked they were just not being exposed exactly so now by proactively getting out there and reaching to to the elementary schools mm -hmm. and saying hey look at what architects are you can be an architect yes that changes everything it changes yes. the entire generation of future architects and it really does mark Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. RCAT, Studio Services Bookkeeping, FreshBooks, and Twinmotion. I'm hearing it more and more among the Entree Architect community. Your workload is piling up. And with project conditions changing and limited time to get things done, it's good to have information at your fingertips. RCAT.com provides architects, engineers, spec writers, and contractors with the most comprehensive libraries of building product content. And it's designed so you can access it quickly and efficiently. And even better, RCAT.com is free. It's free to use and requires no registration. So visit today at RCAT.com and access the information you need now. That's RCAT.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. Studio Services Bookkeeping, a division of Charette Venture Group, provides concierge remote bookkeeping services to small firm architects. Liberate yourself from bookkeeping tasks by outsourcing to trusted professionals who understand the nuances of your industry and your firm size. You can maintain control of your finances without doing all bookkeeping tasks yourself. Studio Services Bookkeeping goes beyond traditional bookkeeping to help you manage cash flow, analyze project profitability, handle invoicing, and streamline your financial systems. Learn how to start outsourcing your bookkeeping today at ss-bookkeeping.com slash entrearchitect. And mention Entree Architect and get five hours of free bookkeeping with a six-month contract. That's ss-bookkeeping.com slash entrearchitect. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like you. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you can spend nailing a client pitch, serving your clients, or honing your craft as an architect. From building, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. It's also super easy to get up and running. And the award-winning FreshBooks support team is always available to answer questions. Try FreshBooks today for free. 30 days, no credit card required. 30 days. Go to entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks and get more time back to build the business you love. 
What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks, remove months from the design process, or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems before they even come up? Well, our friends at Twinmotion offer simple, real-time visualization for architects. Their state-of-the-art technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images, panoramas, standard or 360-degree VR videos, or presentations. No wonder it's used by industry leaders like Zaha Hadid Architects and HOK. What's more, you'll have access to the world's largest library of 3D assets to populate your scene. Sound complicated? It's not. What if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present their biggest idea in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience, or that it uses drag and drop assets and the power of the Unreal Engine to truly differentiate your projects? To learn more, visit twinmotion.com or download a free trial. A free trial today. Visit our exclusive URL, twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. That's twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect to try Twinmotion for free today. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. We've started to see that just in the last few years when, since we started um, diversity and inclusion in 2018. Um, we do have from that job shattering program because um, that first one took place in 2019. Um, so she must have been a sophomore at the time. Um, we had three participants. Um, we literally got a thank you email and a picture of the student's graduation picture and the mother the parents was thanking us because um after that two days and that at the end of the day um back up we gave them all books on how to become an architect as a if this is something you wanted to pursue yeah. this is i wish i had had that a long time ago right so um so we got the email and the mother was thanking us saying thanks to our program, um, her daughter did decide to pursue architecture and was enrolled in Cal Poly Pomona this coming year. That's exciting. So it was very exciting. So we want to keep, we made it a mission to keep track, to continue to keep track with this student, to give her all the resources and tools that she need. Um, to be successful. So we're going to make sure to include her in our internship program, which I'll talk about later. But we want to help give her the resources that we did not have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I can see how being proactive uh, with diversity and inclusion um, and equity and justice, sort of how focusing on that improves um, lives of architects who are black or minority. Um, but it also benefits the firms that take this proactive action, right? Absolutely. So what, what are some of the benefits of developing a diverse architecture firm? Okay. So um, before I, I, I mentioned the benefits, I, I do want to um, step back a minute and, and explain how justice and equity became yes, a part of yes. um, yep. JEDI, because that goes to then what firms can do. Um, as a result of the events last year, um, there for the black architects and blacks in general at Co, yeah. not just the architects, um, we were kind of hurting. And we let that be known through the um, internet. So we actually wrote a letter and posted it on the internet, intranet in our office about how the events are affecting us. Um, at the same time, leadership was meeting, right? And they were saying, um, of course, this was affecting everyone. 
And so leadership came back to Rachel and I and say, okay, we want to take, we want to broaden this diversity and inclusion to include justice and equity. We want to do something about social awareness and we want to do something about change, um, change to systemic racism. Because it's not only about um, including diversity, you know, bringing diverse people in and making sure they're inclusive in the workforce. It's also they we wanted to be able to make a change in our community as well and change for social justice and help be a part of the problem, a solution. Because um, as I explained, the events of last year, they have been continuing. And each time that event happens, we kind of go back to sleep, right? Each time uh, we hear about a Black person being shot or killed, it becomes an uproar, and then it flattens out. And I use the analogy that we go back to sleep what happened with George Floyd, not only did it wake us up, but it got us out of bed. And I don't think we're going to go back to sleep. Yeah. And so that's, um, was the same kind of thinking that came. Oh. You locked up. Are you there, Antoinette? have an organic conversation oh, about I, oh. the, the connection blanked out. Can you hear me now? I, I do hear you now. Yep. Yep. Okay. Sorry. It's oh, okay. We're doing so good. To, uh, too so far. let's, let's keep, <laughs> let's keep going. And actually I have, I have, I have two questions for you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because I don't know what you just said for the last five or 10 seconds, but you had mentioned that when, when uh, the issues happened last summer, and you said that um, you and other people in your firm were feeling pain mm -hmm. and you were hurting. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that more? How you felt at that moment and why? Uh, without crying, I, I'll try. <laughs> that's why. That's why I want to understand it. Uh huh. Because well, I could, I could, I could guess and I could mm -hmm. perceive, but I'm not you, and so I want to understand that. Yes, because for the again. Um, for the first time, this was actually caught as it was happening, right? right. Yep. And and we could identify, we, we've all heard about it and in the Black community, you know, this happens a lot more common than not, right? Yeah. And first time it's been caught on camera for the whole world to see and we identify it could have been my brother, it could mm. have been my father, it could have been my nephew, it it could have been any one of our male family members, and it not being caught on tape. And so, knowing that this is what happens and what occurs to actually see it happen and caught on camera was so painful because this is what we've been saying that's been going on for so long. And I, it was just, you couldn't stop it. It's just like, you, you, you wanted to, um, like the witnesses say, you felt helpless that you could not do anything. Yeah. And so that's, that's where the pain came from. It's, it's just um, knowing that this happens all the time knowing that had it even with it still being caught on camera someone died yeah yeah so i could understand that yeah. thank you for sharing mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. um so so after that that inspired you to add justice and equity to the diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. um can you explain when you when you're talking about social justice and what you're what you're doing in terms of your firm Mm -hmm. Right by adding justice and uh, and equity to the initiative, mm -hmm. what what does that mean? Okay, so that means that we want to do more in terms of social justice, moving from awareness to action, being part of the solution of helpfully um, ending systemic racism. 
So that really what it means to get out of our comfort zone, mm-hmm. you know, we're um, so hesitant to be vulnerable, to open up and to say as firms that, you know, now firms are speaking out against it and clients are now asking, you know, what is your um, diversity and inclusion um, uh, work in your in your office? I mean, we're getting the ask these questions and proposals now. Because clients want to work with firms that are proactive. Or proactive. What is your program? What do you have in place? And so that's where the um, the justice and um, equity came into the equation. And we went from a committee of two or a task force. I don't want to call it committee. Um, and the reason being because task force action, we want yeah. it to be about action to a task force of 20. And that became people that when we had that first organic town hall, it was a conversation. And we asked everyone if on that call, what was your, if you had experience with racism and would you be willing to share? And Mark, everyone on that call, even, um, you know, middle-aged, non-minority males had a story to tell. If it wasn't about them, it was someone they knew. They experienced it. They saw, yes. saw something or, 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 or a friend that under- experienced it. Yeah. Yes. That was hurting. And yeah. so that impacted them. So that really just started the whole conversation that everyone on that was impacted by what was going on. And from there, um, we wanted to move into how we can be a part of change. So we did create a mission statement. We created goals and objectives. And th- again, this was based on the mandate coming from leadership saying, we want to be a part of change. You know, we, yeah. uh, we want to be a part of making a difference as well. And we want to incorporate it into our office culture. We are diverse. We want to make sure that we are not only diverse, but we're doing something for our community as well. And so we came up with initiatives and we have seven initiatives um, associated with JEDI. And they each initiative has to do with a call to action that um, is work-related or internal and external. Um, when you say diversity and inclusion, we have a very, um, again, a diverse workforce, but we want to make sure that they feel um, welcome and a part of it because each culture, everyone brings something different to the table, and that's the beauty of the diversity, and you have to, they have to be able and free to speak up and give them a place of safety for them to do that. And so um, one of the call to action is we have a acknowledge all cultures, a call to acknowledge all cultures. And I lead this particular um, portion call to action of this initiative where we have a cultural calendar. And if there is a holiday, for example, um, Persian New Year just came, was recently then I reach out to the whole office and I say, okay, Persian New Year is um, coming up. Um, Would anyone like to um, do a presentation at our next town hall about Persian New Year? And they do. And it's great. It's because we're learning about their culture. And we did that with Lunar New Year because I learned that it's not Chinese New Year, it's Lunar New Year as well, and any other cultures that are coming up. So um, researching the next cultural celebration that's coming up, and then I reach out to them. That way they feel a part of it, and we get such positive response. We post it to our internet um, for people to respond to if they have questions or anything like that. And so that helps other cultures know that we're trying to at least embrace and understand and celebrate your culture along with you. Right. It works both ways. It, it, mm-hmm. it acknowledges them mm-hmm. as a human, right? That they mm-hmm. have a culture that is unique to them. And so they feel embraced and loved. And then 
the other way, we're all learning about their culture. And so we learn and we become better because of the knowledge that we've gained and the relationship between the two, because now we have more understanding, which is why I love these conversations like this. Yes. Because I learn more from you and you can learn how I experience what you're telling me. And by doing that, we all get better. Exactly. And, and it, is, it starts with the conversations. Right. Right. So which is um, interesting, too, because we had our last Jedi meeting um, on Friday and I said um, instead of um, going through the our agenda items and action items, I said, I want to put a pause because we have we've been so focused on making sure we, you know, one of our initiatives is to reach out and identify black and minority owned consultants, um, architects, um, contractors to work with, you know, to build that database. So we, we um, have actually come and I, I, I remind them at the end of the year how far we've come since May that Show we progress. have not, we've shown progress. You haven't gone back to sleep. We haven't gone back to sleep. And so on last Friday, I said, I just want to take a pause for a moment. There was so much happening. There was the whole, um, what was happening with the um, Asian American Pacific Islanders and then the, the recent shootings. So I said, let's just take a pause and let's just have a conversation. Um, because I was concerned that we did not have enough conversation about what was happening with the you know, the Asian culture and the hate crimes that were going on. But we learned and that their culture is different than how they express, you know, they circle the wagons, they keep it to themselves, they turn internally, they're not going to speak out. You know, whereas where we, Rachel and I posted a letter of media expressing our pain, the Asian yeah. culture isn't going to do that. So that was another learning point for us in terms of learning about a culture and how we can help them knowing that they're in pain. Um, we didn't come up with any solutions. We said we would con continue the conversation, but we want to make sure and acknowledge another culture that is experiencing something, but they experience it differently. So how can we help them? Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Very interesting. And you, and so you said you had the, the firm had seven calls to action. Could, could Are you prepared to, to be and can you share them with us what those sure. seven all are? Yes, um, our first initiative is to introduce um, Jedi to Co. And that's um, our mission there is to communicate our mission statement, which we have, and initiatives to the office, and is to provide continued awareness and visibility of the Jedi Task Force activities, meaning we want to include the office at all time, other co-workers, um, in our actions and let them keep them aware, always aware. Um, our second initiative is educate and communicate within the office. And this is to educate and communicate about systemic racism and how we can educate them. Um, one of the items that we did um, do on this one is um, the theory of enchantment training. And I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end because I could go off onto another tangent. Okay. The third initiative is social justice, which is moving from awareness to action. And this initiative is committed to keeping our coworkers informed on local and national policies, social movements, and ways to facilitate positive change within our society. So this is the initiative we call the action initiative. Yep. Let's get out there and let's be a part of change. Um, our fourth initiative is community engagement and outreach. We have um, two parts to this initiative. The first part is to expand our culture through the support of minority owned businesses in our community, black and minority owned businesses, where we do our catering, you know, when you and in an architecture office, you cater food for lunch and all of that. Where can we find black and minority um, businesses to cater from um, or buy supplies or floral arrangements, whatever. That's initiative there. And our second part of B is to highlight and promote um, minority architects in LA and to um, engage with their creative perspectives. Because one of the unique things about Co is we have a co-gallery 
and we invite local artists to display their work and we have a reception. We did that, you know, pre-pandemic and their work would hang for in our office for like three months and you could buy it if you were interested, but we didn't have any blacks or minorities. And so now our focus is to include that into this part of our um, office um, activities. The fifth initiative, which is the major one, is in education scholarship and mentorship. And that mission is to engage, inform, and inspire future architects and their municipality of voices and viewpoints via CO. So this has to do with our internship programs, reaching out to HBCUs, reaching out to local LAU, we're reaching out to LA Unified School District, so local K through 12s, um, the NOMA summer camp, how we can start to engage with um, um, students at an early age. Um, our sixth initiative is the architecture, engineering, and contractor industry and com community partnerships. And this is a two-part one. And this one is, again, goes to how we can identify and create a database of Black and minority architects, consultants, contributors, and partners, and contractors to collaborate on on project pursuits. Um, 6A is then we want to give back to the community and how is we can provide pro bono services that support and un uplift underserved communities. It goes beyond habitat, human habitat for humanities. Right. You know, we're looking for something that, even if it's on an individual basis, we want to give people in our office a framework for if they wanted to work on a um, a business, a project in their community. Say it's a community center, um, and and they want to engage co or they want to do it on their own. We could give them a framework for how they can do that and how we can support them. And the um, seventh initiative is Southern Cal, Southern Cal Noma has a diversity and equity inclusion challenge, and which is kind of a summary of all the other initiatives, but they're doing it for um, all the architectural firms that join it. And they give you 10 um, action items and you get a point system on, um, on um, meeting those challenges within there. And we agreed and decided to join that challenge and make sure that I think it's a minimum of like 75 points for each action, 10 action items. And then there's also a financial contribution that we agreed to. So those are the seven initiatives. Each initiative has um, co-leadership and then a subcommittee associated with it. So it's it's a mouthful, right? Yeah, <laughs> but you're but you're 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 making change happen, right? Yes, by, yes. By by doing that, by outlining that and and putting it down in writing, and then having regular meetings about it, you're 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 making progress. You are moving forward uh, and educating. And I yes. that's the theme that I keep hearing is that you're out there educating, right? Both from both sides. Exactly. Um, and. Uh, and making things work. I want. I wanted to remind you to talk about enchantment training because I don't know what that is. Yes, a theory of enchantment. Um, this oh, was theory, right? That's what theory yeah. of enchantment. This is what um, was one of the came out of initiative number two. And, uh, um, w again, leadership brought this to our attention. You know, because we were talking about how can we educate, and so we decided that we would take the training first. The Jedi group. And it was a two-day training session. Um, Mark, it was so in, impactful. It wasn't one of you, those unconscious bias training where you do a survey and they find out about you and you know where your your background. This was more um, more um, engaging, more hu humankind um, practice. It, it really had an impact. So we said this is definitely something that we would like for the office to experience, right? Um, so we took it to leadership and we said, yes, for our training to start off about discussing racism and its impact, 
um, this is the training we would like to roll to offer up to the office. Leadership took that on. It was a huge financial commitment. It was $100,000. Wow. And they made that financial commitment for all 144 of Co's employees to invest in that training. And the feedback has been overwhelming. Um, the, the way it's taught is to humanize and not dem demonize people and not quick to judge, mm -hmm. um, look at people's, look, look beyond, start to ask the questions before you make the judgment. And it's a much more, I don't know the words to describe it. it, it it's life-changing, put it that way. And, and that's what people say. It, and so, yes. It sounds like, and people who listen to this podcast often will understand what I mean by this. Um, love-based. Yes. That is love-based. It a, is. It, it's about focusing on caring for one another as human beings. Ex exactly. And um, I don't want to scare others off by the cost. I mean, this was an investment for Co. Um, but I'm sure the for others, it the pricing may vary. I don't know what the pricing is. Yeah. I'm just saying that the commit the financial commitment that leadership and and change has to start with leadership mark that's where i'm getting at change yeah. has to start with leadership i've been involved in other i'm on involved on other jedi committees and with other firms and other organizations and i hear how things are stagnant um leadership involvement isn't there and so it's very hard to get the momentum going again it's almost like they're gone back to sleep so it starts with the leadership it starts with the commitment there and co fortunately has the leadership supporting change how does it affect or benefit co doing all of this work clearly i you know i helps the people um who are being impacted by it but mm -hmm. how does it how does it help or are there specific benefits to the firm as an architecture firm? Um, specifically to your workforce, right? Because, you know, architecture is a creative process. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a team effort. And I think it allows people with diverse backgrounds and cultures bring that to the table to enhance and enrich um, the projects that we're working on. I think that's the key. And we've seen it with, um, and when we do our internal presentations of projects, how um, important that is that the, your, your culture, your thoughts, it allows you to open up, right? Yeah. And be a part of the process and to be included. Secondly, client-wise, it helps us to relate to the client. When you walk into an interview, our, our clients now are so much more diverse, right? It's not just, again, the middle-aged non-minority males sitting at the table. You have a very diverse client. But when you walk in with a diverse team, it also relates back to them. And as I mentioned previously, clients are looking more and more for that diversity. What are you doing about social change? What are you doing about awareness? And so in that regard, it helps with your clients as well too. So um, I think those are the two key yeah. factors to this. It also helps when um, someone looking for employment, right? And they're looking, we want to work, you know, we, in our comfort zone, we look for people that are like us, right? Yeah, yeah. People that are not like us take us out of our comfort zone. If you walk into an office and you identify, you see someone that looks like you in a very diverse office, it gives you confidence, one, that you want to work for this firm, and two, that um, there are people here that look like you. Yeah. So. Very interesting. Lots to think about. Lots of lots to think about. Um, are there specific resources that if if um, an architecture firm wants to start a similar initiative, um, 
are there places where they can go? I know the AIA National has a great resource, they have several guides on equitable practice. They have a whole section on their website. They're proactively doing things as well. So you can go to the, and we'll have links to that on the show notes, but is there anything else other than the AIA's uh, resource? Um, I know there is another um, resource and I, um, it's called um, GDA and they have a Jedi community and i'm not sure if if you're part of that gda they do have a jedi um um committee um that that is a part of that um trying to think beyond there, that i would have to give that some thought are some there are there resources at co that that are available outside of the uh, the firm um we well in terms of our social media and um, social media resources outside of Co. No, that 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 does does Co share anything outside of the architecture out of outside of because you pretty much everything we talked about today is internal. Mm-hmm. Are they? Is there anything on their website, or is there anything that they're doing in terms of? helping other architecture firms do similar things? Yes, we have, we do have a blog. We have a co-Jedi initiative blog. We, um, I've posted that and actually I would be more than happy to post it on your website as well. Um, we're, we're, um, really, we are open to communicating what we're doing within Jedi and sharing our resources and our information. Um, so they can go to our website and look up co-Jedi and that information should be there. Great. We will have links to that on the show notes as well. Uh, Co's website is coarchitects.com, coarchitects.com. Correct. Um, Antoinette, this has been very interesting to me. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. I learned a lot. Um, I'm hoping that people who are listening are, are learning and being inspired to take action. Um, I think it comes down to love, and I think it comes down to understanding one another as human beings. Uh, and the more we talk about things like this, the more we make them human, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think yeah. a lot of people make assumptions on what things are rather exactly. than educating themselves on what things are. Um, mm-hmm. And the more we talk about them and the more we have conversations, the more we learn uh, and the more we can all learn from one another uh, and learn how to live with one another in peace and happiness. And we can all move on. It sounds like it sounds like it's like fairy tale but it's not that's what life that's what it should be be. yes absolutely Um, and we if we all just do our part of telling our story and Mm -hmm. listening to the stories of others you'll learn and you'll be able to relate and and help um so thank you Antoinette thank you for coming on the show and and talking about what you're doing at co-architects before we go I want to ask you the one thing that I ask everybody okay Um, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow I think it's and it starts small, Mark. I look at your small firm, and if you see that everyone around you looks like you, then I encourage you to look outside of that, get outside of your comfort zone, and start looking at bringing in some diversity. Sounds good. All right. So- it, it's it's small steps. Right? Yeah, exactly right. And the, that's the first step: is look around. <laughs> look around <Yes. laughs> that is a great first step because that will that will show you where, where you need to take action yes i encourage you to look around and again if they if they all look like you then i encourage you to step out and find someone that doesn't yeah very good antoinette bunkley is her name uh co-architects is the website coarchitects.com you can go and see all the great work they're doing all the complex architecture that antoinette's working on um antoinette this is i i'm happy that you were here um i i think we i, I think i have a new friend <laughs> because i really <laughs> i really feel a connection with you i I've, I've learned a lot and i appreciate you for coming on here and i appreciate you for taking action and doing the things that you're doing at co and and getting out there and talking about it, like being on the podcast and elsewhere uh, and sharing what you're doing at Co. in order to inspire other firms to do similar things. So thank you for that. And thank you for being here at Entree Architect Podcast. 
Thank you, Mark. And I, again, I feel like I've, I've met a friend. So anytime, um, reach out. I would love to keep the conversation going with you. We'll so do that. thank you for having me again. Thank you, Antoinette. If you like this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Links to all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. And thank you to RCAT, Studio Services Bookkeeping, FreshBooks, and Twinmotion for their support of this podcast. Entree Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. We are curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources, live monthly training for architects, business training that is, a supportive architect community. Yep, it's there. And Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you. It's in there for you at Entree Architect Academy. It's waiting for you right there at the membership. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.